0: Welcome to Growing Up in Easton, a series to promote the preservation of history past, a history of our childhood here in Easton, uh, which is undoubtedly not ever going to be repeated again. And so we are going to archive this series with the Historical Society so that future generations can enjoy the childhoods and growing up in Easton um, that uh, will be preserved. My name is Priscilla Almquist Olson, I'm your host, and I am so pleased to welcome our guests, cousins, the Carlson cousins. I have Jeannie Carlson Ebert, welcome Jeannie. Thank you to have. Uh, Olive Rames High School, class of 1964, and Dick Carlson, first cousins, to Jeannie, Olive High School, class of 65. Welcome. Nice to be here. That's for sure. Okay, so we're going to talk about uh, growing up in Easton and I know that you had a lot of, as cousins growing up in Easton, you had so many adventures together and so many things that uh, you can talk about. What's what's sort of the earliest things that that you remember? Jeannie?
1: I remember Christmases at my, my Nana's house and each one of the My Aunt Mimi, actually Mildred Carlson, she used to dress up as a Santa Claus and have Santa Claus presents given out after we had exchanged the family presents. Mm-hmm. And for the longest time, Dick, I don't know if it was you, but I never knew that it was Mimi that did it for no. the longest time. <laughs> and we'd get our presents, and wow, you know. And then she'd go out, and she would go to other places and do the same thing to other, with other gifts for other people. And, and wasn't that your mother, Dick? Mimi? No,
2: nope, not nope. my mother. We had two people named Mildred in our family, so Mim oh. that she's talking about was known as Mildred A.E., Carlson and my mother was just Mildred at that time. But following on with what Jeannie said, you know, I remember before we went to my grandmother's house every year for Christmas Eve, and it was in particular Christmas Eve that we went there for, we went, we rotated among the brothers' houses. My uh, my father was Oscar, he had two brothers, Bob and Roy, Um, and they had two sisters, um, Hazel and Mildred. Uh, Hazel and Mildred lived at home with Nana, Mm -hmm. and we would go to various houses. Now, I'm getting older, and I don't necessarily remember all the details of those days, but I have seen photographs. Um, I've seen photographs of Jeannie dressed up in a cowgirl outfit. I've seen photographs of me with pistols on. Maybe you can't have those nowadays, but in those days, pistols were a hot item for little boys. And we had a typical uh, Swedish Christmas Eve. Now, I say typical because I know some Swedes know things about things of which I have no knowledge. Mm -hmm. Like for example, the tomta, the little Swedish elves (coughs) that cause trouble, uh, particularly at Christmas time and other times. I never heard of a tomta until I was an adult. That was not part of our heritage. But things like sill and fish pudding and uh, a particular potato salad made with beets uh, in it and the beet juice was used to color the potato salad so it was really more of a moth or a pink color that we would eat yep. and of course nana had to make one for those who liked onions <laughs> and one for those who didn't like onions so there was it was christmas eve was certainly a huge time for us in our family we all lived in the same town yep. um, we saw each other at other things but the biggest event of the year was clearly clearly, clearly getting together for christmas eve
0: well, you know, um, let me just say this about the tomte. The tomte uh, li- always lived in uh, in the barn under the under the floorboards, and at Chris- on Christmas Eve you put out porridge uh, for the tom- for the tomte. If you, fail, and if you fail to do that, then they would cause havoc during the year. You're absolutely right. <laughs> but if you did, if you left the porridge out, then they were your friends and they kept the animals in the barn happy and um, and, and so forth. So you just needed to do that one little act every Christmas Eve. Uh, now we leave cookies and milk for Santa Claus uh, in America, but in Sweden they had the tömte. And the tömte actually uh, d- delivered the gifts So, you had to be really nice to them. And who drove the the sled? It was uh, the goats. So, you have, and that was the buck, you know, that's the Swedish for for goat. And we all have our straw goats under our Christmas trees uh, to symbolize that. So, anyway, and don't forget the Swedish meatballs. That's right. And Swedish not the meatballs. kind you get at Ikea. Those are not Swedish meatballs.
2: <laughs> 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 well, you know, Je- Jeannie mentioned uh, going to my grandmother's house, and, and in particular, um, we would have, if I remember the order of events, people would have dinner, supper, a buffet kind of supper, and then before, and the Christmas tree had thousands, it looked like thousands of presents waiting under it, and, uh, but we had to wait for that, because Mim had to get in her Santa Claus suit get in her car and drive away and bring gifts to someone else, uh, probably because that person was little and needed to go to bed or something, but she would bring the gifts to someone else and uh, we would wait for her to come back before we did that stuff. And then, um, of course, Jeannie being precocious as she was, um, prior to Christmas, she figured out that these Santa Claus gifts, which were also given to us later, might be hidden somewhere in the upstairs floors of my grandmother's house <laughs> so Jeannie would lead me i didn't want to go but Jeannie oh, would lead me up the to the second floor the and we would look through <laughs> now we never opened any i don't think we, we did opened. too we, oh we did see i told you she you led me started
1: open. Oh, let's peek and look in this corner
2: <laughs> so we were christmas was christmas eve but christmas actually started months beforehand as we would uh, try to peek into and see what some of these gifts were that were on their way. See,
1: the thing was is that uh, my our grandmother lived within walking distance from the school, the grammar school, the Northeastern Grammar School, and oftentimes we'd go there after school, I'd go down after school, sometimes Dick would go there after school, and uh, we'd hang out with each other and play, and uh, there was Charlie Baker that lived next door, Adi Decudo that lived up the street, there was a ton of kids that we'd play with, and um, but the neatest thing was in the backyard. There was uh, Nana had a fish pond, and this is why I feel that we had had such a idyllic childhood because we were able to make our own fun and play. And we'd ask Nana, "Can we go fish in the pond?" Because there was a a natural stream that went through that, and it fed into the pond. And our grandfather. Whom we didn't know because he had died before we were born. Um, he had made that pond, I believe, didn't it? Wasn't I think it? So. And there was a giant rock on the side, and there was there was a, a pathway that went like a half way around it. And the stone wall part of the of the pond would be filtering in and coming into the from the stream that went by. It was awesome. And those pout were there with crayfish in the bottom. And we could do this with, we didn't have hooks, we'd take a pin and we'd bend the pin and we'd put some string that Nana had and we'd go down with a hot dog and cut up the hot dog. Sometimes Dick and I would argue over who had too many hot dog pieces.
2: <laughs> and then First we tried bread, but bread didn't bread stay on didn't that hook work, very well. No, no.
1: So we'd put our things in and then we'd count how many we caught in this big, I can remember, it was a white bucket basin yep. with a red... Uh, lip around it I can remember and once we were finished and we were bored doing that we'd throw them all back in for the next time and off we'd go again one time I can you remember this uh, there was a big bullfrog in that pond and we I had set my my hook down and went over to see what he was doing because he was doing something else and all of a sudden when I came back there was this giant bullfrog on the end of my string remember that no I don't uh And I said, come on, Dick, take it off. Take it off. I'm not touching that. (laughs) Well, I'm not touching it either. So now we had this bullfrog on the end of my string. And I went, "Ah." I I know what's happening. The mailman's coming soon. So we, come "Come on, you can go up the two steps. Come on, frog. We would yank him up the step. And then we walked him all the way down to the front of our house, which was a long way. Right, walk for a frog <laughs> and Al Giordano was our was the neighborhood mailman there and hey Al can you take the frog off though sure he picks up grabs the frog psh, the thing comes off and he walks down with us and puts him back into the into the pond again I can remember that so cool yeah. that was Americana back then yeah yeah it was awesome yeah
0: I know um we would we created a, a softball uh, field down, uh, I lived at the end of Steve Street. Yep. I've come home and I live there now. And we'd go through the woods, which is now NRT property, and there was a, a clearing. And we made, uh, built a, our own softball uh, field. And we'd have pickup games after, uh, on weekends oh, because nice. most of us were involved in sports after school. Yep. But um, that was always fun. You know, we never knew who would show up. Well, I and... think
2: people who drive through Easton today, and in particular, that house was on Linden Street. Um, don't realize what that may have looked like many, many years ago. And I'm certainly not old enough to remember that either. But I do remember the stories of much of the land on Linden Street was swampy. And to make it buildable, um, particularly my grandmother's house, um, they brought from the shovel shop two ox cart loads of ash each day. I don't know how much material was in each ox cart load, but it probably wasn't a lot because the oxen had to pull it. And that's what was used to fill. I'm sure I know my grandmother's yard because if you were to go there today with a shovel and dig down about six or eight inches, you'll find the ash that you'll you'll hit. They apparently filled in far enough to leave that stream so that it could flow through. In my mother, grandmother's yard, it flowed in a, It was contained with stone walls, but in other yards, it was open. Uh, if it rained a lot, then it flooded. And I have seen that water come all the way up into the backyard
1: mm-hmm. and,
2: and flood quite a what bit. What was into. that
1: big, there was a big, um, there was a big flood, the biggest flood that we had had. And 68. Every, 68 is 68 what I'm thinking Sixty-eight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nana's, we opened up the door and, and the water was right up to the second yeah, the step water, down. water traveled It came a right way. up to the, oh my God. And that was
2: that was mm-hmm. true for everyone who lived on that left side, if you will, of Linden Street, yeah, you yeah. know, the... The Bromans and the, and the of course I won't go back to talking about living with Pontus Johnson, but that's a long time, <laughs> long time ago. When when the communities used to be largely Swedish and Irish yep. people who lived there, they've changed dramatically um, over time. But those you know, just think of that as swampland. Mm-hmm. That over time, as the Ameses would produce shovels, they produced ash, and the ash went up there and was the fill material that created those lands. And Jeannie mentioned that the school is not so far away, the grammar school. Um, In our era, there was no other school other than the grammar school. There wasn't a Parkview school. Center school came along a little later. So if you lived in Northeastern, you went to the grammar school. And thinking about this taping, I was trying to remember, how did I get to grammar school when I was in kindergarten? Because I watch in my neighborhood now, the moms and dads wait at the end of the street. The bus comes, they get on the bus, the kids go, they come back, they wait for them again. And I I don't... (laughs) That didn't exist when we were having so the best i can remember is we must have walked with the older Mm -hmm. kids Um, for me i lived on Daly avenue so that involved walking through frothingham park or the park as we knew it then and then down one of the roads that connected you to the uh, grammar school one of the problems with that is that when the winter came or it got later in the year they closed the gates to frothingham park Mm -hmm. now as long as there wasn't any snow on the ground I was little then, you could shinny under the gates and jump over the other <laughs> on the other end. But once there got to be snow, that didn't become something that you could do. So we found other ways to get to school. And I remember walking down Sheridan Street and then um, turning between in, in between two houses, walking between two garages across the street, across Day Street, I guess that's Day Street, and then up the hill and come out by where the uh, Farthingham Hall is, where the Easton Senior Center. Yep. are now and that kind of stuff and then going on to to school but it was all walking there was no busing the only time I ever rode a school bus in Easton was fifth grade when I did go to center school but it was uh, I, I wonder how I how I got there I, I don't think my mother took me or my father took no,
1: me. no I know so. that I, w- I had to walk f- from my house uh, up past your house to Charlotte DeWitt's house this was when I was in in kindergarten and where did you live I lived on uh, opposite of Wilbur Street uh uh-huh. at the same house that I live in now. Oh yeah, of course. Um, And then I went up the street, I had to walk from Wilbur, well, across the street from Wilbur Street, all the way up um, past Spooner Street, past Columbus Avenue, till Daly Avenue, and that's where Charlotte and Ronnie Edlin, Alan Hite, Lenny Rollins, Mm -hmm. and me. Lyle Lyle Butts. and we were all in the same class together. And we all walked together, and we did. We went through that same, same thing, yeah. that same back road thing. No, we didn't go through the park. We went through that back. And, road I mean,
2: thing. nowadays uh, people would not allow their children to be cutting through the woods. No, no. To get to get to school, but in those days that was a common occurrence. And I uh, what I can remember about that walk is there was a apple tree i believe in the springtime and it was just so oh,
1: i remember yeah. that so, and we'd both cut we'd both go up and and get the fronds from the tree and bring them home to our mothers yeah we
2: did that too we i guess we probably broke them off because we didn't yeah, have any clippers to. and the tree didn't belong to us so we apologize to anyone who's <laughs> out there listening there, to sorry. us and so we took your <laughs> tree but that's a that's a, a long time ago we we're talking 60 years ago or so Fifty-eight years or so ago, for me, anyways, that, that we were doing that kind of stuff, and it's funny how stuff sticks with you. In it
1: your, does. I mean, uh. in,
2: in your brain, and that's just getting back and forth to school every day.
1: Yeah.
0: Well, we all walked. I remember um, uh, that I walked through the woods too. I would, I was at the end of Seaver, and then I would uh, go up, just go up and take a, a left onto Maple Street, and at that time there was a, a path that. Uh, led up the hill. It was a big hill, and then it would come right out on um, the Williams Street, uh, and then I'd walk up uh, Bridge Street and so forth. And that was when I went to high school, mm-hmm. and that and then and then that was the current middle school. So that was quite a long walk. But going to the grammar school, um, that was easy that, for me. Oh yeah, yeah. Just yeah. just walk up to uh, Reynolds, and then take a ride on Williams, go up Howland Court. And there I was.
1: But we had to walk anyway, because yeah. our
0: fathers were going off to work early, and there was only one car. Exactly, only one car, right? And um, our parents would never have dreamt of of our getting a ride. Yeah. I mean, that was we needed to exercise. We needed to walk. And now today, we have an obesity rate among children, which is outrageous. Um, and um, but I think we were, uh, and we were very active. And television didn't come in really. Um, I was the first in my neighborhood. It was 1949. My brother was born, and we were one of the first to get a TV. And people would, you know, kids would come to our house and watch Howdy Doody and Big Bob Emery and all that. But uh, otherwise, we were outside. What are some of the other um, fun things that things you did that you remember? uh, Where you created your own fun, your own activities, your own
1: uh, playtime? I can remember across the street from us was the Willis's. Robbie and Nancy Willis. Nancy was in your grade, I think. Mm-hmm. And she was behind, uh, I was ahead of her by one. And uh, I would play with her and Robbie would be a pain in the neck. Mm-hmm. And um, one time he took my shovel and I said, Ma, Robbie took my shovel. So she says, well, go get it and get it back. I said, you mean you're not gonna do it for me? No, you go do it. Said, Robbie. <laughs> I want my shovel back. Well, you can't have it. he goes, whack. And he hits me over the head <laughs> right here. <laughs> How old I'm were you? Like five. Uh-huh. And I, I had to wait at the corner of, of um, Sheridan and Wilbur Street because I can't cross the road by myself. And I'm yelling ma! And the drum is, blood is dripping down my eye. Ma! <laughs> oh, jeez. And she comes running across, snags me, and brings me home. I can remember this. And she's got the the uh the face cloth on my head and banging it and rubbing it put ice on it so it wouldn't swell she called up betty and blah 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 i said oh good he's going to get it bad <laughs> <laughs> and all he did was he was he had to stay in his room for the rest of the afternoon
2: so that was very bad in those days and <laughs>
1: yeah had to stay in your
2: room I, I remember um i don't know how much this is well i guess it's fun but we used to We lived in, as I said, we lived in the same town, but we didn't always do the same things and in the same place all the time. Mm. For birthdays, for family birthdays, we did get together for those times. Usually, I don't know whether it was for supper or after supper, but it usually was your birthday sometimes hits in in a weekday. In fact, more often than not, hits on a weekday. So, uh, you know, we'd have supper and then Jeannie and her family would come and. And my Uncle Roy would, would come, uh, and that was that was kinda nice to have somebody yeah, come yeah. Yeah. celebrate your birthday.
0: Yep, that was so fun. That,
2: that was kinda nice. And then I remember you know, I kinda remember probably boy things and Jeannie remembers girl things, you know. But I remember being at Jeannie's house. Now if you're if you're squeamish at all, you may want to turn off your T V sets. But <laughs> I remember being at Jeannie's house when they needed to put in a second cesspool. And I remember I was watching, I was a kid, I was probably seven or eight years old, but my father and, and Jeannie's dad, Bob, I think they dug that cesspool by hand. I'm not, I'm not really sure. Um, Tom O'Loughlin, who was another registry inspector at the time, was somehow involved in the project. He probably did some of the digging mm-hmm. too. And then they then they built this thing. And I they thought, had a
1: friend that had a backhoe for part of
2: it. okay. So I thought I thought talk about fun. What can be more fun <laughs> than watching your uncle and your father <laughs> and other people build stuff? Um, some of you may or may not remember the Easton Rod and Gun Club down on, I guess that's Prospect Street. Howard. That it's on Howard Street Howard in Street. Easton. Yes. I've only lived there, that's, that's not in Northeastern, so I don't know the names of the streets, but in any event, the old Rod and Gun Club burned down. It was a beautiful building. Um, we went to many um, celebrations of anniversaries and things like that there. I remember being inside, it had a wooden dance floor. The whole thing was a wooden floor, and it was quite large, and we'd it was get boxes huge, and, and attached. to us. Yeah, it was big to us anyways, and we'd get cardboard boxes and attach ropes to them. People would sit in the boxes and we'd flip them around the floors and all that stuff. Well, that place burned down. It burned to the ground. No one knows what the reason was, but it burned down. So they needed to build a new rod and gun club. And Jeannie's dad, Bob, and my father, Oscar, went, they worked, both had regular jobs, but they would come home, eat supper, and at 5.30, they'd be on their way down to the rod and gun club to work with other, people to rebuild what is now a concrete block building. It's not likely to burn down. Maybe some of the things inside could burn, but it's not gonna burn down. But they, they went every night for a long time mm-hmm. to do that kind yeah. of stuff. And that's the kind of commitment that they had to yeah. um, rebuilding right. something that was important to them. They had been members for a long time too, they probably had been inducted when they were teenagers. My
1: father had number two badge.
2: Yeah, so that kind of indicates he's been a member for a long time. Do you know who had number one?
1: No. Do you?
2: No, I don't. (laughs) don't. It wasn't my father, I know that person. I have to tell
1: another thing similar to that, and I won't mention any names in case some family members are listening uh, about this individual. But I I, I don't know, I, I, I stepped over something from being a child into a young adult at this point. And they were, there was a fellow up on, the, up on the roof edge and he was measuring. And so my, my dad says, well, so-and-so, uh, how much is that? He says, that's 52 and three lines. <laughs> and I went, 52 and three lines. I, and I looked at my dad and he goes, so I, I, I couldn't believe that this man who was way older than I, didn't know quarter inches half inches eighth of an inch i went wow you don't realize you think all adults are smart some of them are not that smart so i, I that was my one of my lessons i
2: got another memory i, I thought it was kind of fun too um Jeannie's dad had his own personal car i don't remember what it was probably a chevrolet because we had a chevrolet yeah. dealer yeah. in town now yeah. we did have a ford dealer in town too but the yeah. carlson seemed to tend towards the the Chevrolets. And I remember being on route 138. 138 at that time, instead of being what it is now, I think a two lane road, it was a three, it had three lanes where there was certain areas where you could pass and other areas where you couldn't (laughs) pass. And I remember somewhere on that road, someone passed uncle Bob at a higher rate of speed than what the speed limit was. (laughs) And guess what? He had a siren in his car. He was a registry inspector. I think he was in civilian clothes, (laughs) but off we went, and we chased down this person, and the person got a talking to. I'm not sure whether a ticket was issued, maybe, but he certainly got a talking to about abiding by the speed limit and stuff like that, and I think what was probably most surprising for the person was this wasn't a state police car. It wasn't a police car. It was a normal, everyday car you might see on the road that all of a sudden, Chased him down. So I don't know whether we do that anymore. I, I know there are unmarked cars. <laughs> I have
1: but. two things to go along with that. The first one, my dad used to take me with him when he'd go for the sticker time. You know when you have to change your little sticker on your car? Inspection. The inspection sticker? Mm-hmm. All right, Jeannie, he'd say, look for a yellow one. Those are the ones that are outdated. And when you find one, you can blow the whistle. Whoosh, and he'd go and he'd stop that car. And, and another one would go back. He'd go back. Well, that we got into a nice routine, and, and I would have to wait, and and he was jabbing and jabbing to this way. And finally I finally said, "Look at one, two, and I kept looking for him. Three, another one go by. Four, I go. Hmm, we're missing a lot of these because he's talking to that man. So <laughs> I, whoosh, I blew the whistle. I go, oh, okay. <laughs> he goes and gets that guy. And the second thing, we knew where I knew where the switch was to flip, to over from horn to siren and then you'd switch it back again to, to horn. And when I got to be 16, um, I could get that car once in a while, his car. It was a, our own family car. And uh, off we'd go, the girls and I, and we'd go down to Long Pond when it was almost time to go home. And we'd say, how many are there? And we'd drive slowly like the police do with, their, with your lights on, just the parking lights, and we'd go slow and we'd be, you would flick the switch, and all the lights would go on, and I'd say, yes, yes, yes. That was a favorite thing of us to do. Oh, boy, you were naughty. you know. Well,
2: Jeannie and I both went to the grammar school, and the principal of the uh, grammar school was Miss McFadden.
1: Loved her, loved her. And
2: Miss McFadden, it turns out, was the principal for us, but she was not the principal when our dads went to, to school. And, Somehow my father was, had this reputation as Peck's bad boy because my Aunt Mim told me a story that there was a year where she had to go get him, retrieve him from school every single day of the year. He could not keep himself out of, out of trouble, so well, good thing she lived fairly close to the school, but she had to walk back and probably plead with Miss McFadden, who was the teacher then, to let him go, so it was kind of neat that here we are as students at the, at the <laughs> grammar school with the infamous white bench it was actually white benches because there were two there were of them two, yes. one on each side but you did not want to be called mm-hmm. to the principal's office in any case and you surely did not want to be called to sit on that white bench because at that time the so-called we thought it was rat hand mm-hmm. but it was really rat tan the, the mm-hmm. reed that was used in. And, and she used it i don't know that she ever used it but certainly there was rumor that she had used it and mm-hmm. you sure as heck did not want to get that rat hand on your hand, it was a way of uh, discipline that they would use in, the, in schools in those days if they felt they needed to use it.
1: They used to whack with a rule, with a yardstick. Yeah, I remember somebody getting reamed with that. My mother
2: used to uh, educate my brother and I with a yardstick as oh. well at home <laughs> until the yardstick broke and yeah. we didn't show, we didn't cry. Oh, you so see, that ended the yardstick. I so
1: didn't have to be reprimanded. I was such a good
2: girl. You were such a good kid except for <laughs> looking at the Mim's Christmas presents.
0: Well, I know he, that Miss McFadden was very liberal with that rattan uh, I bet you well. paddle. We used to call it a paddle and uh, I've heard a lot of stories since uh, if, and even from people who were totally innocent uh, You know,
1: I she, loved her, she was such a sweetheart.
0: Well I didn't love her at all well, I, <laughs> and uh, I, I, I thought she was um, and most people that I talked to um, you know did not have a lot of respect for the way she handled things uh, and today uh, if she took out that paddle and, and whack somebody, there'd be a lawsuit.
2: And, yes, you yes. um, couldn't do that today, what you no. did No,
0: but those are the things that we want to preserve, you know, and uh, and also, um, our parents defended uh, the teacher. They weren't defending us. Yeah. You, you, you know, and today, you, you you know, parents are out of control. I mean, they're, um, their kids tell them a story and they, they repeat it and protest with the school, um, and uh, the teachers are not as supported uh, as the parents are, and it's and the parents can be very aggressive today. I remember, um, and I'm sure we all have our stories about our parents and we and coming home and and saying you know, uh, blah 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 and and our uh, about the teacher, and uh, and what did our parents say? What did they say? They stood, they up,
2: stood up for the teacher. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: They, and we would get disciplined, uh, and and certainly um, the the teacher would be defended, and and we would be the. Uh, uh, we, we would get disciplined for whatever we did because the teacher was always right. Yeah.
2: Well, I think teachers do have a hard job. They're asked, you know, to deal with a whole bunch of kids and, and stuff like that. And I remember, you know, dur- during the time when we were little, you we used to get a day off to go to the Brockton Fair in the fall, I think it was. You'd go back to school, and then shortly after you were back in school, you'd get a day off to go to the Brockton Fair. And I remember the years we didn't go to the Brockton Fair because there was a polio epidemic. People were getting polio, and, and they didn't want us to be in places where there were large numbers of people. And if I'm not mistaken, I may be wrong, and, and I'm sure Priscilla or Jeannie will correct me, but we, I think I got my polio shots at school.
1: Mm-hmm. I think we, we stood did. in line. Yes,
2: we did. We did. We, we stood in line, and some kids, of course, don't like to get shots, so they were a little bit more anxious than other kids were, but you stood in line with everybody else in that school, and, mm-hmm. and if I'm not mistaken, polio was two or three Shots spread out of, over yep, a little bit yep, of time that you true. had to take. Mm-hmm. So I, I kind of remember being in the grammar school. I think it was downstairs where the, where the cafeteria was um, and kids standing in line mm-hmm. waiting to mm-hmm. get a mm-hmm. shot. I mean, it was not like the Army gave yeah. shots with a, a, a hypodermic gun or something. like. It was mm-hmm. individual yep. syringes and, and, and that kind of stuff. So I guess that was good that that all happened. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember one time being on the playground at the Northeastern Grammar School it was, I think I was playing basketball. I was doing something on the basketball court. Anyways, and here comes my father. It's about 11.30 or so, and it's very unusual for my father to show up at school, and, and, and he says, come on, i got to show you something. So off we go, and we went over to Metrono's. He had just bought a new Chevrolet. That's oh. what he wanted to show me was the new car. Well, he didn't bother to tell any teachers, and I didn't think to tell any teachers that I was leaving. Well, they got uh-huh. a little panicked when they went in, and I wasn't there. So, But that all got straightened out because I came back, and they were happy to see me, and that was kind of the end <laughs> of end of that, but it was something that my dad thought of doing
1: that Nice. today
2: I wouldn't think of doing. I, you know, I can't, I, I, we've, I guess we've talked enough about the differences between schools and stuff, but that was really kind of nice. The other thing I remember at the grammar school was milk used to come in little bottles. It wasn't little cartons and it came mm-hmm. in little bottles and the top of the bottle was sealed with a little round mm-hmm. uh, thing that you pulled up the little tab and pulled the round thing out and you could put your straw in and drink the Milk. Well, we'd save those little round tabs and take them out for recess, and they are—they were like the first frisbees. They're only an inch in diameter, but they would fly. And if you flipped them, they would fly all over. So they were flying all over the playground outside the the grammar school. You know, it's a
0: and you, and didn't we have uh, a choice between graham crackers and
2: uh, saltines
1: and saltines? Yep. 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 Right. Yeah. You had and to pay was... two cents.
2: Now, see, that, that's interesting. Two cents? You, two
1: cents. Two cents. We, two cents. Were was. Three cents was for milk, and two cents was for crackers, or saltines. Oh, okay. Well, you two
2: ladies are a lot older than me, so you'll probably remember this, <laughs> oh, but. Oh, here we go. <laughs> um, what, how did we get lunch? Did we bring lunch from home, or did no, we it was lunch? a
1: quarter. It was a, you had to pay a dollar and a quarter, to the teacher on monday morning and they'd give you a ticket every every day and you'd go and give that to the teacher but,
2: but everybody had that lunch from school nobody brought lunches from some well wait a second what did, school people did, okay. what school people, are we in this we're is in the grammar school. School. I'm, oh, I'm, grammar school i'm back in the earliest of times yeah grammar oh. school
1: and when uh, yeah i think afterwards when we got up to the junior high school mm. the yellow school that was the old yeah. high school um we had we could give them the money then
2: because i i remember bringing my lunch to high school because I didn't I didn't want to either pay for the hot lunch or didn't like what the hot lunch was. And in high school, I'm pretty sure I brought a tuna fish sandwich every day. Yeah, no, that's good. Pretty much I was into tuna fish with the mayonnaise and all that stuff. And where would it go? It would go in my locker. And then four hours later, I would take it out. Now, now someone might say, well, you can't eat that four hours later. It's not refrigerated or anything. But I did survive the tuna fish sandwich every no, day. Every day. But I don't remember, I say, at the grammar school, if you brought something that need, needed refrigeration, there was no place to...
1: Oh, yeah.
0: Nothing, pudding, right? no. As I remember, um I always went home for lunch. Yeah. That's I was close, yes. I was close. I'd walk home and I, I remember getting a having a toasted cheese sandwich with tomato soup.
1: Nice. Oh, that, was, that was that uh, was often what I you know, would get to eat. You know what what is amazing? I can remember in the fifth grade mm. the secretary would go home or something. Yeah. And there was no other stand in for the secretary. Oh. So Miss McFadden would come up and say, Jeannie I was in Miss Harvey's room in the front of the building, mm. and they'd say, uh, I'm going to be leaving, so if the phone rings, uh, please answer, your, answer the phone and leave me a message. And there was the big, fat yellow lined paper, a pad of it. And right you, next. you were in sixth grade at that I time. was in fifth and sixth grade, I did this. Yeah, wow. And uh, I would go in, the. I would hear the ringing of the bell, so I'd just slide out the back door, and the pencil was there and the stuff. i say, um, Good morning or good afternoon, uh, East, Northeastern Grammar School students speaking. May I take your message? And in fifth grade scrawl, I'd write out what it was. And you were 11 years old. Yeah. No, you were it. 10. 10 or 11, whatever. You were 10 in fifth grade and 11 in sixth. Yeah. But there wasn't anybody there to yeah. take care of that. So. Well, Ms. McFadden,
0: that was smart. Because yep. she she knew who she could trust and be, could. and be responsible.
2: So she must not have trusted me because she never asked me to do that
0: job. <laughs> <laughs> I always went out and yeah. did the erasers, clapping the erasers. Oh, yeah, remember was, the rock? Yeah, yeah, it yep. It was the, and it's still there. And I remember it as being such a big
1: rock, but it's not a big rock. No, it isn't. <laughs> Tell you, you know the rock down at the park, Frothingham Park. Yeah. That was a, a a rite of passage when you could
2: climb up, climb
1: up, up yep. and be up there because. That showed that you were, you know, you were a real kid then. Yeah. And when my kids got got big enough, I took them down from from where I live now. I took them down, walked them to the park, and I sk- and I want to show you the huge rock. I, that isn't so big. That's yeah, not so big. Right?
0: <laughs> it shrunk. It's
2: not
0: so yeah. big. So <laughs> what um, what activities uh, do
1: you remember in the winter that you that you did? Basketball, you did basketball after school, I remember.
2: Well, once, once I got older, I was involved in sports. But yeah. um, we used to go, and I don't know if Jeannie went there or not, but up behind where now the junior high is, is a place that we called Manny Morgans. Mm-hmm. And it was a place where we would go ice skating. It basically was a swamp. I think the water there was probably no deeper than a foot. There was an area in front where you'd put on your, carry your skates with you. Mm -hmm. and you'd sit down and put your skates on it was kind of open it wasn't very big but that's if a hockey game broke out that's where an attempt at a hockey game Mm -hmm. was made and then the rest of it was paths or whatever you want to call them that you would skate through that would go underneath the overhanging branches and stuff like that and I remember you could go one or two ways and we'd have races one would go one way and one would go the other way to see who could get who could get back. And then the other place I remember in the wintertime ice skating was at Fred's Pond, Langwater Mm -hmm. Pond on on Main Street. And I remember even the civil defense came and set up lights at night because it was such a popular space for for ice skating. And they would light it at nighttime and stuff like that. The only problem with Fred's Pond is if you play ice hockey too close to the street, Mm. the water doesn't freeze all the way where the water goes underneath. And if you happen to shoot the hockey puck, and the goalie misses it, and it keeps on going. It goes right down and into the thing. So, I know they've dredged it since then. But I always thought that there must be about a hundred thousand hockey pucks <laughs> underneath uh, Main Street or something like that. But that was a fun place to go and and ice skate because you got now you're with other other kids and, and stuff like that. Yeah. so that, Yeah. That's a did you go?
1: Ice? I mean, I I went there yeah. of course. I did too. Pammy yeah. Hatchfield would pick me up, and uh, and off we'd go down. Yeah. To we used to and- also
2: go sledding there too. There was a. But once again, when you look at it now, it doesn't look like much of a hill, but in those days it would look like a hill. And what I remember most about that was along the edge of the pond, the shrubs that grew there with the snow had bowed them over. So if you were on a toboggan, this happened particularly as we got older, if you were on a toboggan and it kept its speed up, it would go and then go up over that little jump Mm -hmm. and then drop down on the pond because it was breaking your back and all we thought it was great fun today it wouldn't be such great fun maybe for me but uh but in those times it was great fun it was and a lot of people went sledding there
0: did you ever go sledding on Seaver? because that's a great hill no oh of course that was my street so it was out of our territory the only place other
2: (laughs) place i went sledding was up on um king avenue behind where um Susan Berry and Michael Berry now live. There's a hill, I don't even know what oh, it's sure. called. Some people might call that Mount Misery, I'm not sure. There's yes, a that's lot it. of Mount Miseries around Easton. Yeah. Anyways, we would bring our sleds up there, we would start there, sled down, come out by where Carlton Clark lived lived, and make a left onto Linden Street and then all the way down by Holsters and all. So it was quite a long ride on your sled. The only downside being it was quite a long walk back to get up to where, where it all started, but we probably took some mm-hmm. kind of a shortcut.
0: Did you go skating on, you, you went on Fred's Pond, right? Yep, yep. Yeah. yep. And um, you mentioned you picked up a friend, but your mother wasn't along, was she?
1: No, 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 no. My mother would never go anywhere.
2: Yeah, right. We probably rode our bikes if there was We rode our bikes, we'd have to ride
1: our bikes to wherever we had to go.
2: Yeah. Yep.
1: And there was no parent supervision anywhere. No, we were on our own. Right. Maybe right.
0: that's why we were so independent. You think? Well, that, and that's Maybe. true,
2: you know, um, to be on Fred's Pond and to go sledding on an Ames Estate When we were kids, the Ames estate, people lived there. Mm -hmm. There were caretakers who took care of the land and things like that. And if you were wandering around on those estates where you shouldn't be because you were curious about what they might look like or what was going on, someone would gently remind you that it was private property Mm -hmm. and that kind of stuff. Although I do remember, I vaguely remember seeing a huge tent set up on that Langwater property. Mm -hmm. And what we were told was that they were holding a debutante ball or some kind of a coming out, ceremony for someone, someone associated with the Ames family, I believe. So um, the Ames family was certainly alive in, in Easton. Um, the schools we went to mm-hmm. were named, we went to Oliver Ames High School. Um, kind of a neat place to be able to say you went to because most people are Sharon or Easton or East Bridgewater, but this is Oliver Ames High School. And then to connect yourself back to the history of it, you know, it didn't, didn't just happen in the last Few years, kind of. Kind do you of thing,
1: remember so. Mrs. Frothingham at Christmas?
0: Yes. And what happened?
1: She used to come. We'd all march down. You must have been old I, enough I to do I remember this too. vaguely. I'm, yeah. Like
2: I said, you two are a lot We're, older than me.
1: Watch your mouth. But, um, <laughs> we'd walk from the grammar school all the way to the high school, which is the yellow school, which is now apartments, and we'd go in, in into the auditorium, which is right on Barrows Street, and. There would be two Santa Clauses on two sides with huge mm-hmm. bag, red bags with presents in them, and Mrs. Frothingham was this old withered lady, and I would say, "Oh, that's Mrs. Frothingham. She's responsible. We're going to get a present." And she was always in the middle. Yep. Yep. And mm-hmm. um, what happened next? Then um, row by row, we'd very dutifully walk up, go up, and thank you. It was a boy. I think there was a boy line and a girl line. Correct. And. Um, we'd get, thank you very much, and we'd get our present and bring it back. We were so excited that we got a present. It was wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. And she, and Mrs. Frothingham funded everything. It was great. Yeah, she did.
0: And that was a highlight. I can remember, and I can see her, I can remember going up the steps on each side of the stage, you know, there were steps to get up, and the girls, I I think we went up on the left side, the boys on the right right. side, and we'd get our present from Santa, uh, and we'd take it in our left hand and we'd go over with our right hand and shake hands and thank her. Yep. And, um, and then we'd turn around and go Well, in back. that
2: same auditorium, many years later, I took dancing lessons. So that's why, as my wife Judy will tell you, I'm such an exceptional ballroom <laughs> dancer because at age, whatever it was, I took ballroom <laughs> dancing lessons. And that was kind of interesting because if you know that gym in that building, yeah. it's kind of um, like an amphitheater that mm-hmm. seats are up above there's no there's seats for players and stuff like that but the seats where you watch a game are, or watch anything are up, up above but nonetheless on, when we took dancing lessons the boys would all sit on one side and the girls would all sit on the other side and then the dance instructor would say okay you got to find a partner yep. that was not easy to do know. Because, uh, <laughs> you know you didn't want to be rejected or whatever but nonetheless that's where we took dancing lessons. Now I had previously taken tap dancing lessons at what I call the Town Hall. and This is a great opportunity for me to straighten out what the Town Hall is. I think people now refer to it as Oaks Ames Memorial Hall. (laughs) But in those days it was called the Town Hall. The hill in front of it, or I called it the Town Hall, the hill in front of it was called the Town Hall Hill. which used to be closed for sledding as well at some times. One time my daughter was calling and, and she needed a ride home and we said I said where are you and, or Judy said where are you and and she said I'm at the town hall so we went to the town hall together she wasn't at the town hall she was at the town offices on Elm Street wow. so terminology became an important <laughs> part you know when we talk of the elementary school we call it the grammar school it subsequently became known as the Northeastern grammar school but I would never have referred to it as the grammar excuse me, as Northeastern Grammar mm-hmm. School, but just as the grammar mm-hmm. school. And then the other schools began to, to come along. I remember the first time I discovered there was an elementary school in Southeastern. I know. I went to, I a friend of mine played minor league, little league baseball, and I went to his game, and his game was behind the Southeastern Public School, or where, elementary school, I guess. Still, well, Still where it is, I think the building is still there. I think it's where that real estate outfit used to be near wendy's on route 138 that, yes that was that was a school in southeastern because as may surprise many of you to know if you lived in northeastern you didn't see kids from southeastern until you went to junior high yep
1: that's right. for sure yeah. and
0: that building is opposite uh, central street
2: right opposite central on street, 138 yep. yeah
0: beautiful
1: building yeah i mean the people that lived on one 106 through there. Mm-hmm. I mean, you only saw them during school hours. You could never go to their house after school because nobody could get you there. Right. It was right. too far to walk. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah, and um,
0: th- anyway, I remember the dance lessons too, and <laughs> um, uh, and I can still see, there was this guy that was, <clears throat> his name was Bruce, I don't remember his last name, I was in seventh grade, and <clears throat> and he was so handsome. And I can remember he came over and asked me to dance. I couldn't believe it. Wow. I was good so for shocked. You. Yeah. Uh, and then I remember we, we would have dances. And somebody, do you remember putting sawdust on the floor of the gym? No, nope, I don't remember that. There was sawdust on the floor. No. And um, I'm
2: talking about the dance lessons. I'm talking about there were probably 20 to 30 boys and 20 to yep, 30 girls. Exactly. Taking ballroom dancing yep. lessons. Yeah, yeah. So That's why I've turned I out to be such a great I said
1: ballroom, her yes. name. Yeah, right. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I can uh, do the electric slide, though, so.
1: Yeah. Yeah, wanna so. show us well, now? Keep, no, I can't. Oh, I'm okay, hurt.
0: <laughs> So, um, tell us a little bit about um, the impact that your childhood, and growing up in Easton and so forth, what it had on your career choice, on your values, your life values, and so forth. Um,
1: Dick? I have, I have one, can I just? Go ahead, sure. Janie? As you know, I I was a, I was one of Miss McFadden's favorites. I was this big, chubby, it was sky-high bangs and glasses and everything. Well, she was chubby, too. Maybe that was the connection. I don't know. It was something. <laughs> and so, you know, she asked me to do all these things. And then when I got to the next school, I'd, I'd go back and visit with her because I loved her so. Uh. And then as it w- did, it got past it, and then I became... A teacher and I came back and I told Miss McFadden I'm a teacher now and blah blah blah. Oh, and she was so excited and she had those twinkly eyes with a little. Her face was always like a ruddy g- g- color. That's and because and she wrinkles, got angry a lot. Oh, she was just in blo- <laughs> white hair, and and but those eyes would twinkle. And one year I had like four or five. You know what, Miss McFadden? It's my birthday today. Oh, how are you? Go- six, one, two, three, and she'd give you a paddle, please, and one to grow. But Anyway, my association with her was, oh, she says, um, and one day she, I came flying home and I said, now you have to understand, I'm fat, sky high bangs, I have these glasses, my ears stick out like this. And I said, you know what, Mom, Miss McFadden told me I had nice teeth. <laughs> she said, oh, well, isn't that nice, honey? Yep, she did. She told me I had nice teeth. And blah, blah, blah. So we went on and on and on. And, you know, I'd see her once in a while. Then I didn't get a chance to see her for the longest time. And I wasn't able to get to her retirement party. And I wasn't able to anything. So finally I knew that I heard that she had been in the hospital. She was in a nursing home or resting or something uh, up on Pearl Street. I said, I have to go see her. So all of a sudden I went in. I find Joanna McFadden? Yes, she's in that room. I went, oh, oh, Miss McFadden? And she opened her eyes, and the eyes were the same. And there was this little withered little lady in the back. I goes, oh, my God, that's Miss McFadden, this little withered lady, and she's there. And, oh, Miss McFadden, I'm so happy to see you, and I'm trying to jog her memory. That's nice, dear. I'm saying, I'm not getting through to this lady. And, and I'm saying, oh, and, and can you remember that, blah, blah, blah? And oh, isn't that nice, dear? And i go, she still isn't. I, she doesn't know who I am. I'm so upset, and I loved her so. And finally, blah, blah 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 blah. So I'm kind of laying back, and finally she says, "You know what? I'm gonna cry. You have nice teeth." Oh, <laughs> she <sorry>. remembered. <laughs> I, I was so happy. It was good. Yeah, you did wow. jog her memory. I did. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I, I don't know how I would answer that, that question. I know um, all of my my father and, and my two uncles were both in the war, uh, World War Two. So I didn't know them, obviously, when they were in the war, but I knew of things they did, although they never really talked much about, but mm-hmm. I knew they were they were soldiers. Uh, for me, growing up in Easton was all about sports. I loved playing little league baseball. That's really the only thing you had when you were mm-hmm. a little kid. You didn't have that plethora of sports that kids have to choose from now. But by the, when you got to high school, you had an opportunity to play a lot of different sports, as did my father. My father was the captain of the Olive Rams High School football team. in. It was either 1926 or 1928, a long time ago. And my father lived uh, to play football. In his senior year of high school, when the football season was over, he left. And he went to work at a place called the Steadfast Rubber Mm -hmm. Company. It's interesting, we're sitting in a TV studio that's located in what was that building. It's hugely different now than it was then. But he went to work there and worked there for more than 40 years. Um, I worked there also. I also worked in this building for about six years as a maintenance mechanic doing a variety of different jobs. And that kind of piqued my interest in what I thought was mechanical engineering. So when I graduated from high school, I got accepted to WPI, and I went to WPI. And in the first year there, you kind of explore what you might do and-
0: That's Worcester Polytechnic Institute. Worcester
2: Polytechnic Institute, yes. And I saw, um, you know, what, what, mechanical engineers do, and I said, I'm not so sure I want to do that. You know, My take on a mechanical engineer is he takes a piece of metal, he puts it in a vice, he bends it a million times until it breaks, and then he says, okay, what can I do to make it last two million times? And I didn't think I wanted to do that. So I eventually ended up in in civil engineering. And that civil engineering then led me to ultimately work with the, I worked for the Army Corps of Engineers for more than almost 40 years. and that kind of led me so he got that army connection from a long time ago, It was a respectable mm-hmm. thing to do. Although my father told me, he said, you should really become a minister. Because if you become a minister, you'll be set for life. They pay <laughs> you a lot of money. You don't have to do a lot of work. And those of you who are ministers who may see this, I apologize, because I know you do a lot of work. But my father's take on it was that it was a really good job to have to become a minister. So, But I chose not to be a minister and become a civil engineer and then go to work for the Army Corps of Engineers for a long time, a career that I really enjoyed. Uh, some things I didn't enjoy near the end, but mostly I enjoyed doing the things that I did and hopefully helping people out along the way with whatever. And you can. Uh,
0: you're still an active member of uh, Holy Trinity Lutheran. Yeah. I see you in church every Sunday yeah. uh, with your wife, Judy. And um, as I recall, weren't you a member of the Luthers?
2: I was. I played for the Luthers. Luthers was a basketball team. Uh, Some of you may remember that Easton at one time had the Easton Church Basketball Mm -hmm. League. I began playing for that league when Priscilla's dad and other people were uh, sporting a team in Brockton. We went to Brockton Mm. and played, and we played games at the—I was very young. I was probably the youngest kid on the team, but um, we played games at the Greek Orthodox Church in Montello. We played at— one of the congregational churches in Campello. Uh, and, and it was, maybe we played at the Y too, but I'm not sure whether we actually played at the at the Y, but those places, and, and, and that was the introduction. And then I think some people said, well, we've got enough kids in Easton now that we could sponsor, and who go to the various churches, that we could sponsor teams in town. So that's how that came to be. And the Lutheran church had a team called the, the Lutherans. Um, We could never beat the kids from the Catholic Church because they had like all kinds of kids. They had lots of kids. Um, Roman Catholicism, I think, being the largest number of uh, participants in in Easton. Uh, There's a lot of churches in Easton now that didn't exist in those days. Yeah, but I played for the Luthers, and I, you know, ultimately I played for Oliver Ames. Did
1: your parents go to see you play very often?
2: Not very often. I can remember, Mm -hmm. um, we used to play our our high school baseball games were played at Frothingham Park, the home games. And every once in a while my dad would be seated, seated, seating in the in the stands. And then of course, football games, they were also played at um, Farlingham Park. and I think, I think they did go to that. My dad and my mother went, and you know, Uncle Bob went too. Mm-hmm. And if you've ever watched a football game, it's it's relatively easy to follow the ball, mm-hmm. but it's not relatively easy to see what the guards and the tackles and those people are doing. And I happen to be one of those. Kinds of people so afterward, they tell me nice game but i knew they really didn't see anything that they had done during the <laughs> during the during the whole game but mm-hmm. it was it was neat to um to come walking down the street walk by your own house go down park street and then the band would mm-hmm. play and the that kids would, would nice. sing and, yep, yep. you know to run on the football field was a big deal um Oliver of was a successful yep. football program then not that it's not successful now but i think anytime you get to play a sport uh, you are successful, whether you win or lose, it's more about the, the playing. So, in my life, um, both uh, Val Moscato and, and Bill Nixon had a huge impact on doing things after school. Mm-hmm. Now I'm gonna cry. Ah. Um, <laughs> you know, they, they, they taught us to work hard, yep, um, and, did. and that kind of that lesson uh, stayed with me anyways my whole life.
1: I want mm-hmm. you to know that Muzzy, <laughs> when, she, when he had my daughter Lisa, um, he says, uh, Miss Ebert, she had known that my my mother my mother had you. Well, what was her name? Uh, Jean Jean Carlson. <gasps> well, Miss Ebert, if you'll be able to play ball. As well as your mother could talk, you'll be a star. <laughs> he said that to you. <laughs>
2: well, having, having the experience of Muzzy, and I always, particularly in football, I always couple Muzzy with Bill Nixon. Yep. The two of them together made that, that work. But he was an, a, an unusual guy. He's not the same. The Muzzy that I knew when I was playing sports is a little different from the Muzzy who was the kind of comedian later on oh, in life. Funny. And he could certainly tell a, a joke very well. But if you played ball for him, uh, you you worked hard and although you did some other things I remember before a game one time I had my license Muzzy had a Corvair which was the uh, Chevrolet that had the engine in the rear it was a modern thing and, and he needed walkie-talkies for the game so he told me and I don't remember who else but one other player to go to Braintree to the Radio Shack that was the nearest place you could buy walkie-talkies I don't think I had a credit card I don't think I had a purchase order from him or anything, but somehow we went to Bra- Braintree and told them who they were for, and the guy gave us two walkie-talkies, and we got back two minutes before the game starts or something like that, and mm. we got to watch the game, and Muzzy and whoever was in the press box could communicate using the walkie-talkies nice. that that we went and and got, you know what? Mm. Um, so yeah. it was it was it was it was it was I I won't say it was fun to play for Val Moscato. Um, you know, you saw games on Saturday, but you didn't see the practices that happened all week long, and, and you worked, you really worked hard. And, and along the way, that brought me in, in contact with people like Paul Urban, who became the Bridgewater Rainham coach and had a very successful coaching career, and other other people who have gone on and done other things in athletics. Mm-hmm. Well, I think
0: um, I think of, of in, in our lifetime, Muzzy or Val Moscato was the most beloved teacher uh, because he taught us the values of hard work, perseverance, you just focus, you can do it, you can be successful, uh, and, uh, and remember to make the right choices or, and, or you're going to live with the consequences. And, and you know, those were really important lessons. That's sure. uh, I don't remember the biology so much as I remember, right? And we could always get him to talk about sports if we weren't prepared with our biology lessons, but the lessons he taught are the ones that have lasted. I, you know, the biology, uh, you know, I have a, a general idea of what I learned. But I remember Muzzy as the, the most wonderful person who really, really uh, encouraged his students, and he really loved us. I mean, we all felt that he loved us as much as we loved him.
2: He and held you accountable, too, though. I remember oh, yep. instances yeah. of um, um, curfews for Thanksgiving Day football games, and they would, he would call and check, and if the star player wasn't home, I remember star players not playing in the Thanksgiving Day game mm-hmm. because they violated that curfew.
0: Really? So, yes. Oh, so yeah. he
2: taught you. I think what they taught us was responsibility. Exactly. They yep. certainly taught us how to play football, too, but that's not the long-term stuff. It's the responsibility that they, they taught us, and I consider myself lucky to have played. Now, having said that, I know Muzzy was a father also. He had Creighton and Ross, but we got to see Craigie a little bit. Uh, Rita would, would have, Muzzy's wife would have something to do that day. So Craigie would often come, not often, would sometimes come to practice mm-hmm. with his father. Well, you can't really be running a practice with forty or fifty football players and watch where your little kid is. So i Craigie, I, I know you've grown up well, but you know maybe you had to deal with the stuff differently when your dad was the was around and taking care of you or something like that. so
0: okay. Uh, what Jeannie, how about you? what What were the uh, lessons that uh, you know from your childhood that impacted your career? Obviously, um, that story you told initially, about this fellow
1: who, who didn't know his math. I mean, that you became a math teacher. Yes, I did. I loved school. A school to me, I was, I was brought up, I think Dick was too, um, we were accountable for what we had to do. When they said that you have to be home at such and such a time, I was there most of the time, unless there was a reason. And we didn't have cell phones to say, oh, do you think I could stay? Nothing like that. Um, so I, I, was, I knew I had to stay focused. I knew I had to do my job. and I had to make the honor roll and whatever else I had to do and that went through college and it went through my teaching career and because a lot of the teachers I I would take their teaching skills when I was using and just to be fair to be to be don't get excited These are the rules we are going to follow them and and it worked out great yeah I loved every minute well um,
0: I've known you my whole life um, both of you and um, it's wonderful to have you here. Um, we all have that Swedish connection. Yes, we do. Uh, but you have a very special connection, and that is, uh, you are cousins. Mm-hmm. And growing up in Easton as cousins, uh, you shared many good times together, and you also share uh, this family values uh, and that you have uh, carried on and. Um, and your children have experienced those also. I want to thank both of you, Jeannie Carlson Ebert and Dick Carlson, for being my guest today. Uh, this is Priscilla Almkust-Olson uh, uh, bidding you all farewell. We hope you have enjoyed uh, the program, those of you at home, and until next time, thank you again for watching.